Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon. In this episode, we have Jeff Anderson and Paul Scanlon, co-founders of Legion M, the world's first fan-owned entertainment company. In this episode, we go through how Legion M got started, how they decide to go this equity crowdfunding route, a whole new model, especially with entertainment companies, their film scout game they use to get input from their investors, which are their fans, and how that gives them a competitive advantage over other companies, their response from Hollywood around what they were doing with crowdfunding in this entertainment company in, in this space, the business model behind what they do, the types of projects they get involved with, and some of the unique marketing tactics that go into this crowdfunding campaign of theirs and all things Legion M and what they have done to be successful so far. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, We Are No Code. Their mission is to empower non-technical founders. The problem is that if you don't know how to code, building your MVP or app idea is a frustrating process, developers are expensive, looking for a perfect tech co-founder is time-consuming, and learning how to code can take three years or more, their program is called the No-Code Startup. And it's a no-code accelerator program that teaches founders how to build, launch, and monetize their startup without hiring expensive developers or waiting for a technical co-founder. No-code is a disruptive new way of building software products that allows users to drag and drop functionalities to build powerful solutions like Uber, Airbnb, Twitter, and much, much more. They have founders in over 12 countries and partnerships with organizations like UCLA Accelerator, Startup Boost, and Scale Health. If you want to learn more and find out if no-code is a good fit for your startup, visit them at wearenocode.com slash just go grind. Without further ado, here is Jeff and Paul, the co-founders of Legion M. Paul and Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, excited to have you guys on. And I've heard a lot about Legion M uh, in the past number of months, just kind of do some research as well. And how did this get started in the first place? So you've come so far, you've raised over $10 million through crowdfunding, but how did this company first get started? Yeah, it's a good question. So, well, Jeff and I have been working together for over 20 years. So we're we're serial entrepreneurs. This is our third official company together. Uh, about 20 years ago, we started a company called Moby TV, which was one of the early streaming pioneers. And that company's still going and still introducing and innovating uh, in the streaming space. Um, and about four years ago, uh, Jeff and I were talking, you know, as the Jobs Act was enabling for the first time uh, what's now called equity crowdfunding. Yeah. Um, we got really excited about, you know, this once in a, what we think is a once in a lifetime opportunity to create an entertainment company that's owned by fans. And uh, so we did it on the eve of uh, the regulation CF uh, being available. We were one of the first companies to file on the morning uh, that the SEC made the made it um, possible to do it. And, you know, we never looked back. It's just been, it's been a wild ride. And, you know, of the three companies that we've started together, I mean, obviously Moby TV was a huge success and still, yeah. uh, still is. We won an Emmy with that company and grew it to, you know, um, you know, uh, very high valuations and offices around the world and hundreds of customers. And, uh, but we feel really bullish about this one. This is, uh, 
this is a moonshot. You know, our <laughs> goal is to unite 1 million entertainment fans to co-own the company alongside of us and then take over Hollywood. Small plans. No big deal. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, one of the things I'm wondering with that, so when I first kind of heard about this, super curious about how it works with all the, your investors being fans. Like, how is that dynamic between you guys and your fans? Like, what type of pull do they have? You know, what kind of influence do they have on the company? I'd be really curious to hear more about that. Yeah. So this is Jeff. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question, and it really cuts to the core of what we're doing. Uh, like Paul said, I mean, this, this company exists because of the Jobs Act. We, we saw it as literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, you know, the Jobs Act changed laws, the securities laws that have been on the books for 100 years since the Great Depression. And so, yeah. um, you know, but what really makes it interesting is, you know, this potential for the first time for regular people to unite and own and be a part of something like this. And the whole company is precipitated on this idea that a company that's owned by fans has fundamental competitive advantages over every other entertainment company out there that's yeah. either owned by an individual or as a corporate conglomerate. And so the fans are literally the center of everything that we do. And sometimes there, there is a direct relationship where fans are weighing in uh, with our, our, our scout platform, which we should talk about, or impulse platform where they're voting and they're, they're having a direct say on it. Um, but even in the cases where we can't put something up for vote, because that's uh, obviously a very difficult thing to do, um, <laughs> it's, it's always every single decision is, comes back to what our shareholders want and figuring out how we can get their feedback and get their signals to make decisions. Because at the end of the day, Paul and I, are, we're the management of the company and we're the ones that have to make the decision, but our jobs are to do right by our shareholders. And those are the fans. With that too, Jeff, you mentioned the scout program and pulse as well. Take me through what, what those are, how those kind of work as well. Yeah, I can talk um, quickly. So, I mean, as Jeff mentioned, we put the community at the center of everything we do. And, you know, one of the probably best examples of that is uh, we have a part of our platform called film scout and film scout is a game that we all play. Um, that everyone in the com community is invited to play. We, we can kick it off at different film festivals and uh, our favorite place to use it is at Sundance. Um, so we take it to Sundance. Everyone around the world, anywhere on the planet can participate. It's kind of like uh, fantasy football, uh, fantasy sports for film buffs. And Love so it. <laughs> you play this game, you're, you're, you're the, the film scout and you're assessing films at Sundance and You've got to make your picks. You got to predict, you know, which films will be successful. Um, and then, if you're willing, and a lot of our community is, uh, because it's such a fun thing to do, you can come to Sundance and be there with us. We host a lounge on Main Street. We've got, you know, a lot of times we might have a film there. Um, but if we're using Film Scout, the goal is for us to acquire a film, a film that we would then uh, release either by ourselves or in a partnership with the with a distributor. And so for two years in a row, uh, we have basically, you know, bought in on a film and using our film scout platform. And it's fascinating because, you know, we, by the time we get to park city to start like going and watching movies, we have hundreds of thousands of votes from our community telling us, you know, 
which what their predictions are based on just the descriptions of the film and the cast and talent and those things. Uh, but then while we're there, we have hundreds of people in our community going and watching movies and writing a detailed review about how that movie performed. Did it live up to its expectations? Then, of course, we go into number crunching mode and we analyze that data. And, you know, that's data that we have that no one else in the industry has. Um, most of these films are being shown for the first time. So there's no there's no Rotten Tomatoes scores. There's no critic <laughs> scores. There's no indication of, you know, the film's viability or success. And so a lot of the other distributors are really just making kind of you know, uh, a gut decision after maybe them and a few other people from their firm have seen the film. Uh, but it's almost impossible for any one person to see every film at Sundance. And so this is like our money ball equivalent um, to evaluating in a scalable way all the films at Sundance, but also making a decision that's going to resonate with our community. Because ultimately, you know, the movie that we decide to get in on, uh, if we decide to do, and for the last two years we have, um, you know, we want that movie to be something that our community had a voice in, in choosing. And so the best thing about it, like one of the, one of Legion M's mottos is having fun can be good business <laughs> and going to Sundance or playing this game. Those are fun experiences. In fact, for our community, just the, the idea of going to Sundance as a co-owner of a company that has a lounge on main street to hang out in that lounge, meet celebrities, go watch movies, you know, as a film scout for the company you co-own, meet other owners uh, and shareholders and just have this, you know, incredible time is and it by itself is, you know, a return on investment. But while they're doing that, they're also adding value to the company that they own. And yeah. so this data makes us, you know, theoretically better than other distributors at choosing movies, um, but also aligns our interests so that we're not choosing movies that our community doesn't like. Um, yeah. And so we're two for two. We've got, uh, you know, two movies, both of which are certified fresh. The first one was uh, a documentary called Memory, The Origins of Alien. Uh, that movie we were able to pick up for, um, you know, a pretty affordable price and we released it and uh, and did well uh, with screen media. And then this last movie we were actually in release on right now with Bleecker Street. It's called Save Yourselves. Uh, and it is yet again uh, certified fresh and Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, doing well. Just to add on to that, I mean, Film Scout, I think, is such a perfect example of when we talk about uh, the the idea that a company owned by fans gives us competitive advantages, as well yeah. as your other question about how do how do the fans play a role in it? Because, like Paul said, it's it, it's really there's two incredible pieces of value. One is is that it literally gives our fans a voice in in choosing what films we're going to do. We got involved with Save Yourselves because our community chose it at Sundance, uh, and same thing for Memory: The Origins of Alien. But um, on top of that, it's this idea of harnessing the wisdom of the crowd. And I'll never forget the, the year prior to launching Film Scout, uh, um, we were at Sundance and it was Paul and Terry and David and I. And, and I just remember us, we're literally in an Uber 
and waiting with bated breath as the Uber driver told us that, oh yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about this movie. Um, there's a lot of, I can't remember the, and we're all like, oh, what movie is it? And, and like, that's the point that we're like, oh my God, there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's amazing. There's so many questions I have around that. It seems like such a great idea to bring that together in terms of having your fans and be able to kind of interact in that way. One of the things I want to go back to is a lot of things I want to cover within this, but going back to 2016 when this this passes and you go through the first crowdfunding, how did that first campaign go? I'm curious. Yeah. So, uh, well, it was kind of interesting. I mean, Jeff and I are, you know, as I mentioned, we're serial entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we're we're big idea guys. We like to kind of, you know, dream, dream large and, you know, go pursue those dreams. And, you know, there's nothing scarier than when you first launch that. You know, <laughs> yeah. We, we had raised a little bit of capital with some friends and family and people that had invested in us uh, in the past. And um, we put it out there and, you know, it's kind of an interesting um, phenomena at that point in time, you're really testing your idea to see what other people will think. And, um, you know, I, I teach a class on entrepreneurship for uh, Northwestern Kellogg, just one class a year uh, in the winter. And um, it's uh, it's interesting because I always tell the, the students as an entrepreneur, you know, you're usually never more bullish about starting the company than when you first start it because it's, <laughs> everything is blue sky and you're imagining and, and if you're optimistic the way we are, you just kind of think, oh, it's all going to come together and it's going to be incredible. Um, but, you know, a lot of times once you've launched, you know, the day after or the weeks after can be a sort of sobering experience because you yeah. start to realize how much harder things are going to be. Um, we didn't have that experience with Legion M. I mean, we came out of the gate really strong. We ended up blowing out the uh, $1 million um limit on a regulation cf i think we had like you know before before the round ended like we're you know the the date that we had set to end the round we had 1.6 million dollars in escrow so we literally had to give people <laughs> money back and it was you know it was one of these incredible experiences because we we didn't really have a lot to talk about at the time i mean we're yeah. literally just it was like hand waving and partners and what's the ideas and, you know, what we plan to do. And, you know, thankfully there, it resonated with people and people and, you know, ever since then, you know, now it's like, we have so much more to talk about. We have past projects. We have, you know, like all the skeptics in the early days are, you know, were would say, oh, I bet they never make anything. I bet they never get in on anything good. Or I bet they never listen to their community. And like all those things where, you know, we've proven now that that's, you know, certainly not the case. Our existing investors, many of whom are now invest in every round because they're so excited and, and impressed with how we have delivered on our promise. You know, like when we look back, you know, for if, if when we started the company, you would ask us to predict what we would accomplish in the next four years. You probably would have said we were um, exaggerating if we told you everything that we've now done. Yeah. And so we're, we're pretty proud of it and excited, but at the same time, we still feel like we've just started to scratch the surface that we're in, you know, the early innings of, you know, uh, an exciting baseball game. And so far, 
you know, we're, we're holding our own and doing well, but we still feel like there's, you know, there's so much more of this game to play. Yeah. And actually with that too, even with potentially the cap being lifted more than just the 1.07 million to like 5 million, if that happens, that will open up more things and people just getting more accustomed to and hearing about crowdfunding will also help that I think as well. And we'll see how that kind of evolves. One thing too, with with so so many unknowns early on of this, and you're not sure what's going to happen with it. What was the response once you did raise? Once you did kind of work on your first project from like from Hollywood, from the studios, from the creatives? Like, what kind of response were you getting from from, from other people that you know saw this kind of innovative model you were using? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of people kind of rightly asked in the beginning, like, how is this going to be received by Hollywood? And um, we didn't really know. I mean, we had our suspicions. I mean, frankly, we didn't know anything at the beginning. Like we had this great, this idea and we thought it was a great idea <laughs> and it had the potential to shape the future of Hollywood. But we had, you know, that, that first equity crowd crowdfunding round was so important in allowing us to show that, yeah, like people actually get it and, and, and people like it. And so then the next question was, okay, well, you know, how, how can we, how can we use this to our advantage in um, in Hollywood? And what we found is that Hollywood has been extremely receptive to Legion M. Um, like it, it's just it's it, it's a really fascinating ecosystem. It's one of the most complicated business ecosystems I think in the world. There's so many different players, and it's the sort of ecosystem where everybody is like in some sense everybody is competing but we're also potential partners, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, yeah. we're all, uh, at the end of the day, we're all competing for eyeballs and attention um, and, and ticket money and all that sort of stuff. But there's so many different players uh, that, you know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Disney and Warner compete, like that's a direct <laughs> competition. But, you know, for a company like Legion M and what we represent, which is the fans. And that is a really attractive um, proposition for a lot of folks. And I think if you look at the projects that, that, we, that we've done, uh, the very first movie that we got involved with was Colossal, which is an Anne Hathaway movie that we did with Neon. Um, one of the other very first projects that we did was working with Stan Lee uh, and Kevin Smith on a virtual reality project a project. And if you, if you kind of rewind back to that time at that time, Legion M was literally a company that had raised $1 million total. Yeah. (laughs) Hollywood is like literally nothing. And so, I mean, I can tell you for a fact, if Paul and I had come to town with a million dollars in our pocket, (laughs) tried to sign a deal with Stan Lee uh, or for an Anne Hathaway movie, like nobody would have, (laughs) nobody would have cared. Yeah. Uh, Nobody would have, would have, would have worked with us because we just didn't have enough money to be a player uh, in the ecosystem. Um, But the fact that that $1 million came from, at the time, it was only 3,500 people, but came from 3,500 fans yeah. that basically pulled their money and we're coming to them representing these fans saying, hey, we want to work with you on a project. That was what fundamentally changed the calculus. And, you know, we did a project with Stanley and Kevin Smith and Anne Hathaway and all that sort of stuff. And we've seen that consistently uh, throughout our throughout our history. I think if you look at our projects, we bat way out of our league 
when it comes to the level of projects that we've been able to get involved with. And it's simply because this idea of fans um, uniting and wanting to be a part of it um, is so powerful and, and important. And, you know, we think that that's a, a really key competitive advantage. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, if you're Stan Lee, um, you know, or uh, if you're Steven Spielberg and, you know, you've made, plenty of money. Um, a lot of times it's not about the money. It's about like, what do you want to do with your life? What's the impact and the legacy that you want to leave? And you've got an opportunity to do a deal, you know, on a project with some corporate conglomerate, uh, or you can literally partner with the fans. Um, we think it's an easy choice. And, um, I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to go through kind of the evolution of, of your growth in the last four years. One of the things I'm wondering too, when you, when you mentioned these projects like Colossal with getting some major names on board as well, just on a logistics standpoint, like business model standpoint for Legion M, like what does that look like in terms of, because you know, if I'm an investor, you know, through WeFunder in, in Legion M, I'm curious as to what the business model is, how does the company make money? What I'm working on these projects, like what does that consist of? I'd be curious about those things as well. The answer can get a little complicated because every project is different. Yeah. Um, but if you think of projects like the way Jeff and I approach it, we kind of think of them as like almost like little mini startups, each one of them. And Legion M is like an accelerator uh, slash venture fund. And um, we're more than that because we provide, you know, the, the marketing power and the, you know, producing skills and all those things. But, you know, on a movie like Colossal, where we're coming in on that, um, we're just a player. Um, we're, a, we're an investor alongside of Neon. Um, and Neon is, and, and in that case, Neon is, you know, uh, the two founders of Neon are both advisors to Legion M. And so we were able to kind of get in on a project where they didn't need our money. Um, and they were kind of inclined to sort of let us participate. Um, yeah. And so we have projects where we are a cash investor, like in the production of the film, early investor, that's called like an equity investor. It's almost like being an angel investor. I was just going to say yeah, angel investor. Yeah. And other, other projects, we're kind of the entrepreneurs, you know, we're getting other people to invest in, in our project and we're earning our kind of equity in the project by working on it, the sweat equity, you know, putting it together, casting it, hiring a director, you know, making the, the business model work so that either a distributor or other financiers will want to put in. Um, we also, you know, and what's, what's been fascinating, and Jeff alluded to this when, you know, we talk about the, the community has a sort of value to it. Um, and it's a value that we can use to negotiate not only preferable terms when we are investing or we are, you know, the founders of a, of a project and kind of making that project come together. But it's also something that we can we can get participation in a project just by leaning into it and without actually having to put any of our actual cash investment at risk, which is kind of the best case scenario. And so um, and then we have, you know, so we have, because we want to have a diversified uh, portfolio, we want to have projects that we're, you know, we're producing and going on set and we can bring our community to the set. We've done some amazing things where one of our movie sets releasing in December called Arch Enemy starring Joe Manganiello. Uh, we're an early investor in that film. We're the executive producers of it. We partnered with Spectrovision. 
um, we put a little bit of money in, but we're, we're, we're really kind of putting a lot of our sweat equity into it. Yeah. We're able to get good terms, but we're also able to uh, negotiate to have set visits for our community, a bunch of people from, from our, you know, fan community or in, in shareholder community are in the movie. Uh, the <laughs> heroes are, uh, this is one of our favorite examples. Uh, the car that Joe Manginello, uh, he actually steals it from someone in the movie and it ends up being, uh, becoming his kind of, his hero, the her- hero car in the film is actually one of our investors' cars. And so we put it out to our community before we started production. You know, we said, hey, we're working with the director and there are all these kind of production needs. We're going to rent, we, we have to rent some cars. We have to do this. You know, we need... You know, these are all the things that we're going to have to go spend money on. Does anyone want their car in the movie or does anyone want to be in the movie? And, you know, the response is just overwhelming. I mean, we had the director was so impressed. We we make it easy on him. Um, so, you know, and he's not obligated to take anyone's car. So if he doesn't see anything <laughs> he likes. Uh, but we put all the, you know, people just we created a form and people could submit their car to be. And there were, you know terms with it like hey you know you needed to bring it to set during these dates and make sure it was running um and know that we might damage it but we'll fix any damages because there are some stunts and things and you know we had we had dozens of cars and so he just looked through it and ultimately he ended up on this really badass very unique looking el camino uh which was very different from his original vision and what he had asked for but it was the kind of thing that like until he saw it, he didn't even it didn't even occur to him. Yeah. And so once he saw the car, he's like, oh, this is the car. Oh, my God, I love this car. How can I can I get this car? And so we ended up with a car that everybody's really excited about. But also the investor who brought that car to the set ended up going to the rap party, meeting everybody. Uh, he feels like he won the lottery because it's such a cool experience. And now his car is more famous than it was when we started. Uh, but it's just this kind of virtuous cycle, you know, like where we can do something for our community that also benefits the project. Um, and everybody's happy. The director's happy. The, the producing team is happy. We're happy. The investors are happy. Um, so we try to, we try to do many of those things and, you know, to finish off on, on answering your question about the, the types of projects, you know, we have a diversified slate. We're involved in kind of various different um, points in the, like a, a film has a life cycle. You can get involved early on, you know, as an angel investor, you know, as a founder, but then as those movies move towards the monetization, there are other opportunities to either invest or to partner with the distributor to release the film. Um, and then in television, it's uh, there's a whole, because uh, that's another big element for what Legion M uh, is has been working on, is we have multiple television series uh, in development, meaning that we, we're kind of packaging them, getting all the teams um, packaged up, and then pitching them to the streamers and the networks and the buyers. Um, and in that, that field, it's, it's more of... Um, you know, we're the, we're like the founders of, of those projects or one, among the founding team. Uh, and so we're taking those projects out and, um, and hoping to, to sell them, which we, yeah. we'd go into production. And then, you know, the way we look at it is any one project we have is a possible future franchise. 
And, you know, one of the things that we think is so exciting about Legion M, if you equate it to like a Y Combinator type, you know, accelerator is that we have a lot of opportunity for upside. You know, every one of these projects could become, you know, the next big franchise. And if it does, that's going to be really valuable to, to Legion M, not only from a kind of financial ROI, uh, but also for the sort of um, the exposure and the marketing, you know, for Legion M, because every project, you know, allows us to get out in front of a new audience and let them know about our, about our innovative model. And, you know, every time we release uh, a new project, we grow, we grow our shareholder base, we grow the amount of money that we've raised um, and the whole kind of community gets stronger uh, we call that our flywheel. Uh, and if you're familiar with uh, Jim Collins and yeah. his uh, book, uh, Good to Great, he talks a lot about, you know, the, the big difference between a great company and a good company is that the great company is focused on investing in their flywheel. And our community is our flywheel. The bigger and, and more engaged that community gets, the more differentiated uh, Legion M is. And it just helps us grow. Yeah. And having, I mean, 25,000 investors overall, and that's so helpful. And the community is even larger than that potentially. Like, there's so much benefit, it seems like, from having that within your company. And like you said, that flywheel, I've definitely heard that concept a number of times and, and I've told people like that's the way to really build a business because it gets easier and easier as you move forward. And and one of the things I, I really want to ask about is you started in 2016, obviously this first campaign goes, it goes well, which is great. And even then moving till today, you know, like I said, it raised over, over $10 million previously and your latest campaign, you're in round, you're kind of your seventh, uh, your seventh round here of funding you're already over 400,000. It's live on wefunder.com slash Legion M with this kind of current thing. How has it evolved from the launch in terms of how you look at promoting or getting the word out about a new fundraise from the first time you did it to like today when you now have some new things as well with, with different uh, kind of investor rewards as well. How's that evolved uh, to today? It's a great question and it's continually evolving. And it's, it's, uh, I feel like we, it was so, uh, Paul and I are Silicon Valley guys. Uh, you know, the, the, the first startup that we did was a Silicon Valley startup. We founded Moby TV, uh, which was, we were the first ones to put live television on a cell phone back in 2003. Um, and that's a whole story in and of itself. But I guess the point of it is, is that we're extremely data driven. And so when it comes to the marketing of Legion M, it's really for us, it's about, okay, how can we get the word out there yeah. uh, to as many people as possible? And so, you know, for us, that's always been a combination of live and in-person stuff like comic cons and film festivals, um, as well as uh, Facebook marketing and just trying to make cool stuff happen. Uh, to do worthwhile things that people want to talk about. Uh, this week, for example, we're bringing back Mandy, which is one of our um, uh, one of the movies that we're an equity financier in uh, Nicolas Cage movie that released back in uh, 2018, and this is the two year anniversary of it. And uh, we, we've brought it back into theaters and drive-ins. Like we've literally booked, um, I don't know what the number is. I think it's like 40. 30. Oh, 30. Yeah, 30. yeah 35 uh, probably. Yeah, 35 uh, uh, drive-ins and um, Alamo draft houses. And oh, yeah. 
independent theaters. And like, we just wanted to do that because this, this movie has developed a cult following. Um, it's something that the Legionum community, uh, uh, a lot of folks in it love it. <laughs> it's a very polarizing movie. I think there's plenty of folks in the Legionum community that, that have never seen it and will never <laughs> It's, a, it's one of those movies like, you know, we told people going in like, OK, this is a dark, violent, uh, crazy, movie <laughs> that, uh, you know, so so watch it at your own risk. You know, watch the trailer. And if you like the trailer, um, you know, that that's kind of like the the black diamond sign uh, before you go down the ski run. So <laughs> if, if, you, if you watch the trailer and you're like, yeah, this movie looks like me, then 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 go for it but uh, we created a new sub label for this specifically for this movie called legion midnight so yeah. it's the first film in our midnight slate in in the midnight slate but anyway, I'm way off topic but, but <laughs> uh, uh, the point was that you know we've, we've cultivated this cult following for the film and um so we thought like wouldn't it be cool to bring it back to theaters this is a movie with a driving soundtrack um, and, um, uh, and, uh, it, it's a very visual movie. You know, this director is someone that people would compare to like a Stanley Kubrick. Like it's just the, the shots are, are, are beautiful. You could probably take almost any frame of the film and blow it up as a, <laughs> as a fine art piece and hang it on your wall. Like it's just gorgeous. Um, but, uh, anyway, so we thought like, like that'd be cool. And lo and behold, you know, the, the showing start, uh, I think tomorrow and we've already sold out a bunch of the theaters and they're adding more showings. And that's like a great example of just something that's organic, right? Like there's things that you can do. Like I can buy billboards that you have to drive past on your way to work, or we can try and do stuff that's cool. Like let's get Mandy back into theaters. Yeah. Um, or a, another great example was a couple of years ago, uh, we did a uh, Stanley handprint ceremony at the, uh, at the Chinese theater where uh, um, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the Chinese theater yeah. with the handprints and footprints and cement. It, it's a very, like, it, it's a pretty um, rare honor. They've only done like, a couple hundred of them since, you know, when they started back in the twenties, it's not like a star, right? Like stars. Yeah. Like thousands, thousands. yeah so many, <laughs> <laughs> but uh Anyway, um, you know, we were talking to the Chinese theater and we were talking about Stan and we found out that they didn't have it. And, you know, they said that they would do it. And the, the thing that most people don't realize is that that ceremony is it's pretty expensive, first of all, because they have to shut down uh, part of Hollywood Boulevard and they've got to bring in uh, security and they bring in grandstands for all the press. We had like 30 news outlets there, uh, <laughs> television news outlets there when, when we did this as well as all of the 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 other press that's there like it's it, there's security you've got to pay for the care and maintenance of the concrete you know in perpetuity and it's just like it's a very expensive thing and so the only time that it's ever been done in the history of these awards was uh by movie studios that were promoting the release of their new movie right so if if avengers is coming out they bring the cast of avengers down and as part of their you know, hundred million dollar marketing budget for it. They, they pay for the ceremony and it's a great way to honor the, honor the people and, and also promote the film. But uh, um, uh, effectively what we did was we went out to fans 
and we united fans to do this. And, and we, uh, we, we flipped the script. Normally these uh, ceremonies are only open to VIPs and the fans are the ones that are standing behind the rope line, which is behind the risers in Hollywood Boulevard, you know, <laughs> like trying to like catch a glimpse through the cracks. And instead we, we made it open for fans. We, we, we sold tickets to it that were pretty reasonably priced uh, and, and allowed fans to come in and do it. And, and at, you know, we, we created a tribute book where you could uh, buy a spot in the tribute book and provide your tribute to Stan. Um, about the impact that he had. And you could put a photo in there. And then we presented that to Stan. This whole, it's like a yearbook full of tributes to Stan from all of his fans. Um, you know, we created uh, like posters. And, and then the coolest thing was afterwards, we did a uh, we did this event at a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. We rented out a 9,000. <laughs> I love it. $35 million mansion <laughs> in the Hollywood Hills. And brought in 500 of Stan's biggest fans and cosplayers. And we had bands and uh, free drinks and food. It was like, it was the coolest. Uh, I can guarantee you it was also the nerdiest party. The <laughs> I was going to say. Ever, ever experienced. Amazing. <laughs> This was open for fans. Um, it wasn't free; like you had to pay for a ticket. But the 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 price that you paid for the ticket and the, uh, for the tribute book and all that sort of stuff that was the money that effectively paid to get Stan's hand and footprints uh, in cement. And wow. when when he did that, and when all of you know the five hundred million or whatever the number impressions, press impressions around the world, when he did that, you go Google it right now. Um, he, he's doing his handprints, and right behind him is a Legion M banner with the name of the with names of fans yeah. um, that helped make this whole thing happen. It was the first time in history that it had not been done by a studio, but instead by fans and. That's something that we feel immensely proud of. I mean, you know, Stan, unfortunately, has passed, and but those footprints are still there, and they'll be there forever. Um, and it was a way for us to give him an honor for the fan community to give back. Um, it was a way, you know, because of the fact that we sold tickets, it, it was a way uh, that we were able to offset most of the cost for it. And, you know, the Legion M was the one putting it on. Like, that's that that's the sort of stuff that we like to do. We, we'd much rather spend our time and effort trying to do stuff like that than, you know, putting up putting up billboards or digital advertisements. Yeah, I was going to say, instead of just giving it all to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> And, and with that, with that too, like understanding this and hearing this, you know, the last forty five minutes or so about what you guys are, are, are doing with with Legion M, it's it seems like a no brainer sort of situation. Why do you think other companies, other people, are not doing the same kind of model? Uh, you know, I mean, we have seen some other examples of um, you know companies doing, you know, even in the entertainment space, there are a few other companies that have uh, or groups that have done a specific movie you know where they'll equity crowdfund a movie um i think one thing that like i would say is um and not to toot our own horn but we might make it look a little easier than it is um yeah. you know it's it's not it, it, it's not actually that easy you know i mean like for um and the equity crowdfunding space you know for the four years that we've been in it uh, it's been sort of developing. And I would say it's probably easier now uh, for a new company 
uh, to launch a campaign um, than it was when we started it uh, four years ago, just because things were so brand new. Yeah, We spent most of our time just explaining to people what equity crowdfunding was <laughs> and how it was different from crowdfunding. Um, but, you know, a big part of it, and I think this is, again, kind of where, you know, our background and our kind of experience comes to bear is that, you know, you need to find your audience. You know, the audience won't necessarily find you just because you're on WeFunder or on a on Start Engine or one of these platforms. I mean, you'll get probably a little bit of, um, you know, investment just from the people that are kind of browsing companies there. Uh, but the onus is on you to go out and find your find your investors. And that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think what we've seen is a lot of people have come out and maybe, you know, expected that just by, you know, um, right, doing a good video and putting up a nice profile that they'll raise millions of dollars. And it, that's just not how it works. You know, like we have to work hard and find really creative ways to get out in front of people, like Jeff said, with the Stan Lee um, uh, hand and foot imprint ceremony, you know, getting Mandy back in theaters, like every single one of these things is an opportunity for us to be in front of new, uh, new possible investors and, you know, people that would potentially resonate with our story, uh, and kind of building, building that flywheel, you know, from, for us, like we're, we're such huge believers in this. And in fact, we have a TV series that we're, we're developing because we do feel like as we get further along and sort of proving that it works and proving the value of it, um, that there should be other companies. I know there's some like distilleries and some beer companies. I mean, there's a company called BrewDog, uh, which has been hugely successful, uh, you know, doing this for, you know, beer connoisseurs, people that want to own a own the own some shares in the beer you drink that <laughs> yeah. just totally makes sense like why not um and so yeah we we feel like there's a lot of room uh in this space uh for kind of new entrants and including kind of you know similar companies we thankfully don't have a ton of competition um you know from other companies doing exactly what we're doing and we're pretty specialized um but it won't surprise us. And, you know, we kind of feel like all boats rise, you know, as we can, um, we can all kind of collectively, you know, help this burgeoning space of equity crowdfunding. I mean, one of the things that I really feel like, and, um, you know, we've been uh, kind of assessing some of the sort of, you know, where, at what point do, you know, right now everyone thinks of a balanced portfolio as owning like publicly traded stocks, bonds, maybe some real estate, and, you know, you want to be diversified and protect yeah. your downside risk. And, but the problem with that sort of traditional balanced portfolio is you just don't get very good gains from it anymore. <laughs> it's not as reliable as it used to be. And part of that is because, you know, the high growth investment opportunities aren't on the, on the publicly traded stock market until most of that growth is already, and at least some of it has been exhausted. You know, companies don't go public. I mean, we went through this experience with Moby TV. We saw kind of what it took to go public. We didn't even consider it until we we're uh, approaching a hundred million in revenue. And so what, what happens is, you know, you've got all these companies that go through these like exponential growth in their early years um 
And, you know, but the average investor hasn't been able to participate in any of those investments until they go public. So if you look at companies like Facebook and Uber and these companies don't go public until they're like worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Like it's, <laughs> you know, they just wait as long yeah. as they can. And um, I really feel like there's going to be a, a, a title change, you know, where wealth managers like advisors and the new kind of, you know, um, paradigm for what a balanced portfolio looks like includes some investments in startups. Now, people need to understand how risky they are. And, you right. know, we bend over backwards to make sure that everyone that's investing in Legion M understands how risky it is. And, you know, um, and just the the idea that, like, you know, the, the stakes are really high. I mean, if we're successful, the returns are going to be, you know, much bigger than what your returns would be on a kind of, you know, publicly traded uh, but if we're not successful, you're going to lose all your money. And people just, you know, that's something that, you know, we, we have a video called Watch Before Investing, where we just kind of reiterate that point that, you know, like this is, you know, this is a, uh, a dream, like this is a moonshot, like what we're trying to do isn't going to be easy. Statistically, most startups aren't, you know, don't succeed. And when they don't succeed, the investors lose all their money. Um, but if we can defy those odds and become one of those companies that, you know, um, is successful and really does go on to reshape an industry and create, you know, this new category the way we did with uh, Moby TV, then, you know, the returns on investments can be, you know, really beneficial. But yeah, yeah I was just going to say, I feel like, you know, we're, we're getting to that point where, you know, people that have, you know, investments and want their sort of returns to be better, but also want to be balanced, should consider, you know, peeling off a small amount of money uh, yeah. to invest in, in startups. You know, they're like uh, lottery tickets. I think it's kind of interesting. Like I, I remember reading an article. Um, it was actually about cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and, and um, uh, which, I mean, that's again, a whole other. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's it, it, like there's things like lottery tickets, right? That's just random chance. You know, there's things like crypto and, and there's a lot of legitimate stuff in crypto, but a lot of it is just more like, you know, trying to time it right, you know, in the yeah. theory, like you've got to make sure that you can buy it at the right time, you know, so you can sell it. You know, trading cryptocurrency is almost like beanie babies. Yeah, um, like day trading uh, almost too. Some of these things. And then there's startups, right? And I think the interesting thing about startups is that unlike a lottery ticket, you can do your homework, you can do your research, and you can go in. There are people that professionally invest in startups. There's a whole sector of industry that's devoted to that. And what they do is these are the people that manage really wealthy people's money because really wealthy people have, have recognized that this is an area where you can, you know, if, if you do it right, um, you, can, uh, you can do really well. But it's it's um, it, it's it's this idea of asymmetric and, you know, asymmetric investing, meaning that if you invest one hundred dollars in Legion M, your downside is capped. It's a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's the most you're ever going to lose. But your upside has the potential to be massive. Um, we use, uh, we like to use uh, Facebook as an example, just because everybody knows the company and they understand with it, uh, understand the company and, and is, is somewhat familiar with it. 
Um, and we caution people like, okay, this is not, <laughs> not standard. This is literally the most successful company of all time. But, but if you look at it, there's this amazing symmetry because you can look at the eight years prior to its IPO, right? From the day that it was founded and had its earliest investors uh, to the day that it IPO'd was eight years. Um, and then you can look for the, at the eight years after that, which is about uh, 2020. That's about where we are right now. And, and if you go back and look at, if you say, wow, if you were lucky enough to invest on the day that it IPO'd um, and held it until today, you'd have about a 5x return on investment. Yeah. which is pretty good for a public company over eight years to get a five X return. Yeah. Like that, that's, it's not Tesla, but it's still like, pretty <laughs> good. Um, but, um, uh, but if you look at the eight years prior to that and the people who invested back when Facebook was more like Legion M side, they had a 3000 X return yeah. investing on their money. And it was a much higher risk investment. You know, at the time they were investing in a college dropout with this crazy idea for a social network and a, you know, renegade band of programmers living in a flop house in Palo Alto, right? Like that was, the <laughs> um, but if you heard him out and you saw the, the, the vision and you're like, you know what, gosh, if this guy's right, like this thing could be huge. And if, you know, if, if, if you had done that um, and, you know, it, it's also an illiquid investment, that's another downside of startup investments is that right. it's not like the stock market where you can get in one day and get out the next. Um, but if you can live with that risk and, you know, again, it's like it's a hundred bucks. Um, I, I think it's it, it's a really kind of fascinating way uh, uh, to look at, at at investing. And 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 again, like I just love the fact that. The Jobs Act, like this is one of the things that's so wonderful is that up until a few years ago, you, most people were not even allowed to consider investing in something like this because right. it was only available, it was only legally available for the wealthiest 3% of the population. And that's the part that was really messed up because it wasn't like the smartest 3% of the population <laughs> For the population that understood how investing in startups worked or understood business or anything like that. It was simply how wealthy you were. If you were rich enough, uh, you had the opportunity to invest in these. And if you were, uh, if, if you weren't rich enough, then it was completely off the table. And I think that the fact that the SEC has leveled the playing field and, you know, uh, created this opportunity, I think is, is so wonderful for investors. And I think for Legion M, like we talked about earlier, it's enabled this entirely different sort of business model uh, that quite frankly didn't even exist prior to the Jobs Act. Yeah, it is. It's quite incredible what crowdfunding has allowed, and it's only been a few years. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, if you look at some of these companies that obviously they're, they IPO'd, have these massive exits, et cetera, that takes time. You know, seven, eight, ten years, whatever it is. It's only been a few years. So we'll see how many of these companies that have gone through crowdfunding. You know, how many of them exit, you know, IPO, whatever it may be, and what kind of returns we're getting for regular investors who may see some of these multiples that are way beyond what you're typically going to see, like a publicly traded company, for instance. So I'm fascinated by what that's going to be, and even looking at different industries that people have kind of created companies in now and have done crowdfunding, I just want to shout out a few. It's like Makeba, Regrain, Treefort Music Fest, Divert Sessions, Everyday Festival Pass. These are all founders who have been on the show who are all like just in different kind of industries and they're all crowdfunding and have seen success with it because of the model it is. And then going back to Legion M and the entertainment industry, 
having your fans be investors, like that just seems like such a game changer. And there's going to be other industries as well that find out that having hundreds and thousands of investors in your company all rolled up with WeFunder, at least in one uh, kind of item on the cap table is very intriguing, let's just say for many people. And and where can people go to learn more about Legion M connect with you guys as well? Yeah, just, um, well, they can check us out at uh, legionm.com. We've got, you know, basically all the information about the company and uh, we keep a running blog post there, like at the bottom of the page, if you scroll down, where you can basically see everything we've been up to, or, you know, since we started the company, if you keep scrolling long enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, we try to, you know, we try to put, you know, everything out there, like Jeff and I are, you know, very dedicated to transparency and honesty and just kind of putting it all out there, making sure that everyone understands, you know, uh, what's going on. Um, you know, one of the things that, that you mentioned um, that I think is a huge opportunity for equity crowdfunding is sort of redefining what it means to be a shareholder. You know, like if we yeah. buy shares in the, in the, you know, on the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, I mean, you're, you're basically a faceless, you know, person like, you know, if you're buying something from that same company, they don't, they don't even associate that you're also an investor. Or anything. <laughs> and with uh, equity crowdfunding, it's totally different. You know, like our, as we've been mentioning, we put our, our community at the center of everything we do, but our community also is an active participant in the company coming to Sundance going to you know visiting a set like voting on which projects you know helping to promote telling their friends about our movies when they come out and getting groups together to go see them you know these are all things that are um you know people wouldn't I mean they might do for a big you know big studio but it's it's not like it's it's built in and yeah. um we really feel like that there's an opportunity like uh, over time for for equity crowdfunding to frankly be less risky because of that element. Uh, you know, if you're investing in a beer company, for example, and you already know that they have 25,000, you know, consumers that are invested in the company, that seems like a massive hedge for that company to now, okay, they know they've got their kind of base customer and they can go get it into, you know, other distribution uh, platforms. And, you know, it just feels like the opportunity to sort of disrupt industries, uh, similar to how kind of Legion M is, is reshaping Hollywood. Uh, I think it's a no brainer. I'm excited to see what, what other entrepreneurs uh, do in this space. Absolutely. It's very exciting. It's going <laughs> to follow along, everyone. Keep keep eye on, on fundraising in terms of equity crowdfunding. And, you know, the investments themselves can be as low as like $100. I mean, it's not like you have to spend, you know, 10000 20000 to even get on these things like an angel investment might be. Like you can get in on a relatively low amount of money and still get some involvement and benefit, which is great. But Jeff and Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, We Are No Code. Their mission is to empower non-technical founders. The problem is that if you don't know how to code, building your MVP or app idea is a frustrating process. Developers are expensive. Looking for a perfect tech co-founder is time-consuming. And learning how to code can take three years or more. Their program is called the No Code Startup. 
And it's a no-code accelerator program that teaches founders how to build, launch, and monetize their startup without hiring expensive developers or waiting for a technical co-founder. No-code is a disruptive new way of building software products that allows users to drag and drop functionalities to build powerful solutions like Uber, Airbnb, Twitter, and much, much more. They have founders in over 12 countries and partnerships with organizations like UCLA Accelerator, Startup Boost, and Scale Health. If you want to learn more and find out if no-code is a good fit for your startup, visit them at wearenocode.com slash Grind. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.